We are so blessed today because I've been doing this series. My wife, she was like for a year and a half, two years ago, babe, Bonhoeffer, Bonhoeffer, Bonhoeffer. You got to hear Bonhoeffer. I'm like, who's Bonhoeffer? And I found out who Bonhoeffer is. If you don't know who Bonhoeffer is, please get the book. It's incredible. It's a guy that stood up in Germany in the time of Hitler. Eric talks about it. It's phenomenal. But then I got into Luther. I love Martin Luther and 95 Theses and that. You hear me talk about that. But he wrote this book, Letters to the American Church. And I just want to say to you before I introduce him that this is, if, if, if y'all, I grew up in this stuff. I've been saved 50-some years now. And you want to talk about the prophetic, you're going to hear the prophetic today. You're not going to hear a false prophetic. You're not going to hear a general talking. You're going to hear somebody who has a word for the American church. Would you guys welcome Eric Metaxas? Give it all. Pull on the word. Thank you. I uh, praise the Lord. You know, when you get an introduction like that, the temptation is just to slink away. Because you know it's just going to go downhill. That's a negative confession. I rebuke myself. What a blessing to be here. And listen, some of you are familiar with Romans 8.28. All things work together for good for those that love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. So first of all, sloppy Christians when they say, I think everything all, all works out in the end. No, wrong. That's wrong. All things work together for good for those that love the Lord. A lot of people say, I'm a Christian. Do you love the Lord? He commands you to love him, not to like him, not to agree with him. To love him. Think about that. We're not hearing that really preached much growing up or whatever. You don't hear that. What, what does God want from you? Be a good boy. Study hard. Love the Lord. He's calling us to something way beyond, you know, passive assent. I agree. I agree, Lord. I agree with that. How's your theology? You're not saved by your theology. I'll tell you. It's an amazing thing to understand. Theology is important. But you're not saved by your theology, or let me put it this way. You, you are saved by your theology, but God is not fooled by what you call theology because he looks at your heart. So when you say, I believe this and this and this, well, the Lord knows whether you believe it. And the devil knows whether you believe it. And the devil is not scared by your quote-unquote faith. He's scared by your actual faith lived out in work self-sacrificially. And it's a dramatically different thing to see somebody's faith lived out. I think of this story, uh, actually. I don't know if this ever happened. You know, sometimes, a lot of times Christians tell these stories, and I just want to be clear, okay? I don't know that this happened, okay? It doesn't matter. It's just, it's just a story. It's like a parable, right? But it, mi it might have happened. I, need to, I should look this up, right? Um, but it's in my book, Letter to the American Church. If you uh, imagine somebody... Uh, putting a, a, a tightrope across Niagara Falls. I think this was done. I think Charles Blondin did this, like, you know, around 1892 or something like that. And you put a, a tightrope across, and you say to the crowd, do you believe I can walk across the tightrope? And, you know, and he walks across the tightrope, and people, their minds are blown, this and that. And then he has a wheelbarrow, you know, and he puts the wheelbarrow. I, I actually, I believe this happened, right, that, that, that he actually did this. But what I don't know, which is the illustration, is to say to the crowd, do you believe that I could push this wheelbarrow across 
Niagara Falls across this tightrope, uh, you know, with a heavy load in the wheelbarrow. Do you believe that? You know, and of course, everybody's like whipped up like, yeah, 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 yeah. And so he sees, you know, one guy in the front row. You believe it, sir? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, please get in the wheelbarrow. Right? Like now we're going to find out, do you believe it? Because it's easy to talk, to run your mouth, to run your mouth about Jesus, okay? A lot of people, how many people, do you know people? I've lived long enough now that I don't care what people think, you know, what I, what I say. I, I, I hope I care what the Lord thinks because that's all we're supposed to care about. But, but have you seen people that are like yapping to every waitress about Jesus, but they're not really living it? So like that person has my permission to shut up about Jesus. Because we have given Jesus and the gospel and Christians a bad name by not living out our faith. And don't tell me, like, well, my sin's covered by grace. Actually, no, that's sloppy, okay? Jesus died on the cross for us. And there is something so amazing and profound and beautiful about that that if you actually believe that, it will change you. So you can't just say, well, I believe it. No, you're going to live like you believe it, or it's obvious you don't believe it. Just like the person who says, oh, I believe you can push that wheelbarrow across. Okay, get in the wheelbarrow. Are we, how are we living our faith? And I really think part of, listen, human beings, we, are, we know we're sinners saved by grace, we're broken, and our tendency is always towards sin. We know that. We're broken, right? So we always, have, why do you have to go to church once a week, or why do you have to read the scripture every day? Because we need constantly to remind ourselves of what is true, because it's not natural for us. Natural is for us to be broken sinners. That's natural. What's supernatural is, is, is not natural, and we have to continually remind ourselves of what we're getting wrong, or how, you know, mission drift, people call it, right? You're just drifting, drifting. So every good thing can be twisted into a bad thing, right? Every good thing can become an idol in place of God, right? We know that. Now, we live in a culture today that will tell you, like, oh, don't make an idol of politics. How about don't make an idol of anything? How about that? Did you know that idols were bad? What, what do I have permission to make an idol of? Nothing, right? But we're living in a time where, where people talk about, don't make an idol of politics. It's like, don't make an idol of anything. If you love your family, to the at the expense of God, that becomes an idol. If you become your love your job and success or whatever, and the point is we've got to keep our eyes trained on God at all times. But the opposite lunacy, it's like, well, don't love your family too much because that they'll be an idol. Like, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. People say, don't, don't love your country. Don't love America. You're members of another kingdom. Wrong. I'm members of that kingdom and that kingdom. Like, is that too hard? Is that too difficult? Is that too hard to understand that? That I'm supposed to live out my faith as an American citizen, 100%, and be part of the kingdom of God. In fact, one will inform the other. Like, that's, is that too difficult? But there are people who are like, oh, you know, America, politics, be careful, be careful. Don't love your wife too much, brother. I mean, that's just bad theology. Um, I'm already saying three things at once. I apologize. What I wanted to say was... When we were talking about faith, right, um, we know people that don't get the issue of faith, and they need to hear about faith, okay? I wrote a biography about Martin Luther, okay, and Martin Luther was living at a time, 15, 
100 years A.D., which is 500 years ago, when the concept of faith, which we kind of all take for granted in a crowd like this, it had fallen on hard times. People were kind of like it was all about performance, right? So if you committed a sin, you had to come to the church, you had to confess, and the priest, da, 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 they made this big kind of confusing thing. Now, some of that was not bad, but it became bad, right? It became more and more human and less and less of God, and it became more and more performance-oriented so that the, the point is that people got this impression that, you know, I'm not worried about if my heart is right before God. I'm worried about did I confess that thing to the priest in time before, you know, like, okay. So Luther rightfully uh, saw that this has created some magnificent problems in the church in, in Europe. And so he, he begins to write about it and write about it and write about it and talk about faith because faith had fallen on hard times. People had forgotten this. It's faith in him that saves me, not something that I sign a piece of paper or, or, or whatever. Okay, well, here's the problem. 400 years after Luther, faith, which had been rescued from obscurity, effectively became an idol, right? Where people talked so much about faith that they didn't even know what they're talking about, right? Now, why am I saying this? I'm saying this because Pastor Buck just referred to Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer, uh, who... Uh, some of you won't know who he is, but I will tell you, you should know who he is. There's certain heroes and saints uh, of the faith that you, you, you want to know who, who they are. So I wrote a biography about Bonhoeffer about, what, 12 years ago now? Oh my gosh. Uh, I was just a kid. But um, not true. But, uh, but the point is, the story of Bonhoeffer is that, uh, and this gets to my book, Letter to the American Church, Bonhoeffer was uh, a young man, incredible man of God, and he saw that the church in Germany, okay, because the church in Germany, that's the Lutheran church in Germany, right? They almost had made an idol of Martin Luther, right? Remember, the greater something is, the more tempting it is to make an idol of it. And Luther was an amazing man of God. And the Lutheran church, they had kind of a, thank you. Wow. Yeah, somebody was praying in the spirit. I appreciate that. That's, uh. So Luther was kind of idolized by the German church of his day, right? Now, again, this is always the temptation. I grew up in the Greek Orthodox church, okay? And the Greek Orthodox church almost makes it, because this is the temptation for every human being, but to kind of make a tribal identity, right? Like, we're saved because we go to that church, or we go to that church, whatever. Well, the, you know, Greeks are rightfully very proud to be Greek. I'm, I'm Greek. My dad's Greek. And, you know, and he raised me to know that Greek is the best ethnicity. Okay? And I apologize to the non-Greeks in the room, but we just know. It's, you know. Now, there's something funny about that because we all know how that can go wrong, but it can also go right. There's something beautiful about celebrating who you are, right? Saying, I'm proud to be an American. I'm proud to be black. I'm proud to be white. I'm proud to be... What the, point, the point is, whatever God made you... You can celebrate it in a wrong way, or you can celebrate it in a right way, okay? So when my father raised me, he's like, you know, being Greek is the great thing. All he's saying is that there are these wonderful things about your heritage. Celebrate them. Understand that that's a beautiful thing, and you have the honor of having a bloodline that traces back to some of those people who did that, right? And some of the, the, the Greeks who were not so good, we're just not going to talk about them, right? Okay, because we're all human beings. We're all equal in God's sight. But so there's something about 
taking pride in a good sense, right? But we all know how it can go wrong, right? Where you can start thinking like, well, I'm Greek. I go to the Greek church. We're the best people. All I need to do is go to church and be Greek, and I'm done, right? Now, the Germans in Germany, because my mother is German. This is strange, right? My father's Greek. My mother's German. Now, by the way, if you're raised Greek and German, that means you will be raised Greek. That's just the way it is. It's like one of those, it's rock, paper, scissors. Forget it. So, but the Greek church, I was raised in the Greek uh, church. But when I was reading about Bonhoeffer, because my mother grew up in Germany during the war, during this period. My father grew up in Greece during the war, during this period. And um, they, uh, the German church in the 1930s, because we're going back to Bonhoeffer, okay? He's a young man. He's looking around, and he sees that the German church is so proud to be the German Lutheran church that they've kind of taken it so far that they have forgotten their duty before God. They kind of act like, well, we're Lutherans, we're Germans. Luther was a German. He practically invented Protestant Christianity. We're done. We're good. And Bonhoeffer was saying, no, you, we have drifted. Luther was a hero of God. Luther was somebody who risked his life over and over and over again for the gospel and the truth of God. And, but we kind of act like, that's my man. I'm good. It's like, well, no. The Lord calls you to do the same in your life, in your, whatever circle you're in, right? And so Bonhoeffer was trying to explain to the German church even before Hitler came to power. So if you, if you know the story, really, Hitler came to power officially early in 1933, okay? But even before that, Bonhoeffer could see that Germany is drifting toward national socialism, Nazism. Now, we all think, oh, Nazism is wrong. It's bad. If you were alive then, it wouldn't have been so clear because we don't know what things are until we see the fruit. Now, people who are prophetic, who have good discernment, they will get it before others, and they will try to warn, right? So Bonhoeffer saw that Nazism is at war with the scripture and with Christian faith. He saw that. But a lot of people thought, well, I don't know, you know, we don't need to fight that battle yet. And he was trying to wake them up. And he saw early on that the German church had taken the idea of faith, and follow me on the theology of this, right? You take the idea of your faith, you say, it's all about faith. That's what Luther said, it's all about faith. Well, that's true, but what is faith, right? The scripture says... Faith without works is dead. So be careful when you say it's all about faith because your faith better be real faith. You better be willing to get in that wheelbarrow. Otherwise, it's fake faith and you're not fooling God when you're going running your mouth that I got faith, I got faith. You better live your faith out because the Lord can see whether you have faith or whether you're just running your mouth, right? Or, or if you're wearing a fig leaf and the Lord says, well, yeah, that's not going to work. That's, you're, you're trying to fool me with the fig leaf. I'm not fooled. I'm God. I, I see that you tried to do that there. That's a religious act. It's not, you don't understand. Only I can, can cover your nakedness. Only I can cover your sin and heal you. And only I can do that. So, so Bonhoeffer is alive at a time when he sees the German church has drifted from the, the real heroic faith. And now they have this attitude like we don't need to do anything. It's just faith. And a lot of people like that. It's like, I just need to believe and I'm done. And it's like, well, yeah, but if you believe, the scripture says, faith without works is dead. So it's true that you're saved by faith. But if you are saved by faith, you will live out your faith in your life. There's just no way around that. 
And so Bonhoeffer's looking at a German church that got so stuck on this good idea of faith that they forgot what real faith was. So in my book, Letter to the American Church, I talk about a sermon he preached in 1932, right before the Nazis officially took power. And he was basically saying to them, uh, you know, you're pretty proud of yourselves. I mean, he didn't put it in this way, but he basically saying to the German church, you're pretty proud of yourselves, right? In fact, I should be clear. He preached this on what's called Reformation Day, right? So this was the day, it would kind of be like July 4th. It's like Germans celebrate. This is the day the Reformation started. This is the day Luther nailed the 95 theses to the day. This is our, this is our day, right? And he's like, well, no, it's not our day. It's either God's day or it's nobody's day. And you better be celebrating God and not yourself for being a German who just happens to be part of the bloodline of, you know, like you need to understand what happened that day. Are you, are you celebrating? It's kind of like if on July 4th, instead of humbly celebrating what some real heroes did to bring liberty to this country, it's almost like we're celebrating ourselves. Like, we're Americans. We're awesome. You know, like, well, no, you're not awesome. But you have the good fortune to live in a place where some awesome people bled and died so that you could run your mouth, right or wrong, and have freedom. Like, that's kind of a big deal. So are you celebrating that? Or are you congratulating yourselves like, we're awesome, you know? And, and we always have to be careful about that. So Luther uh, was amazing, but Bonhoeffer, in this sermon, realizes that the German church on Reformation Day, they're kind of like applauding themselves, like, we're great. And he's saying, I have some bad news for you. The Hitler, Hitler and the Nazis are on the rise, and you're sitting on your hands and you're doing nothing, you're dead. You're not alive in your faith. If you're alive in your faith, you would be alive to the danger that is rising right now. And guess who the Lord calls to stand against this wickedness? It's called the church, right? So we can complain all we want about others, but the Lord says, well, I'm looking at you first. You're the church. You're the ones that claim to believe I defeated death on the cross. Are you living that way? Are you living fearlessly, or are you saying, well, I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want somebody to think I'm a racist. That's like a lot of the, you know, if, if, if you're not white, this does not apply to you, okay? But as a white person, I know so many white people, they care more about, like, somebody might call me a racist. It's like, well, here's my question. Are you a racist? If you're not a racist, why don't you shut up and stop worrying about that? Because, like, you've got to be out of your mind. Like, I don't know. I mean, have you ever met a racist, okay? So we're living in a time now where it's very similar. People are like, I'm worried about what people are going to say, what they're going to think. We're no different than the Germans in that day. They were worried that somebody might think, I'm not you know, proud to be German, or I'm not this or that. It's like, how about just worrying about what God thinks, right? So Bonhoeffer was preaching on Reformation Day in 1932 and basically saying, you know, if we do not awake to the truth of God and, and, and rise up as the church, God will remove our lampstand, right? That's from Revelation. He will take away what we have. We have shown to God's glory. The German Lutheran church has been an amazing force in the world. But if we now in this hour do not rise up and speak against what we see, it's going to be very bad. You know, because uh, of those to whom God has given much, he will expect much. That's always the way it is. 
So what are you going, rah, rah, we're great. It's like, yeah, you're great, and God's going to expect a lot more from you because you've had the gospel preached and you've had a Christian culture and whatever. Well, the parallel to us in America today could not be more dramatic. It could not be. Because I wrote the book on Bonhoeffer and I saw that what happened to the German church. Now, Bonhoeffer preached that sermon, okay, and cut to the chase, the German church did not wake up. The German church did not understand the season, right? And we all know people who, they can quote scripture, but they have no discernment, okay? Like, they're going to quote the thing, and you're like, that's not what God is saying now. Thank you for quoting the scripture. It's kind of a big book, so you can pick stuff out and quote it, and you're like, well, that's nice. God said it, but is that what God's saying now, right? So pe people are often, you know, twi I mean, in case you didn't know, Satan quotes scripture, all right? So in case there's anything magic about quoting scripture, Satan quoted scripture, right? So the question is, what is God saying, okay? What is God saying? And so now this is the scripture is always true, but people can twist it, and people can use it for false ends. So Bonhoeffer was trying to get the German church to see what is happening in Germany and to get them to see that God has appointed you, the church, to speak now and to speak fearlessly. Now, when you've had it good, you get really used to not speaking. You get used to, like, everything's fine. We don't need to do much. That's where the German church was in the 30s. They're kind of like, everything's fine. They didn't have a separation of church and state, right? So they were not worried about the state taking the church over, right? Now, the reason in this country we have a tradition of separation of church and state is, is not to protect the government from the church. It's to protect the church from the government pushing us around, telling us when we can open our doors, whether we can sing. I mean, come on, right? So, so the point is the Germans didn't have that tradition, so they were really ripe for this deception. And anytime anybody would, would maybe say, well, you, you need to push back against the government, push back against the, you know, we'd, it'd be very easy for us to say, like, of course I push back against the Nazis. Well, again, th at the time, many of them were not aware that this is going, right? And in case they got a little bit aware of it, they could always just say, well, Romans 13, very clear. It just says, like, we're not supposed to whatever. Now, Romans 13 is always cited. It was cited by Luther, really famously cited. So they kind of acted like that settles it. We're not supposed to push against the governing authorities, right? That's not really what it says. It's a little more complicated than that, right? But if you're looking for a Band-Aid or a fig leaf to kind of cover you, you just go like Romans 13. Like, let me just tell you, like the fig leaf, God is not fooled, okay? God is not fooled. So a lot of the German pastors were silent in the face of evil. But they acted as though, well, this is theology, Romans 13. We're not, that's not our lane. We're not supposed to be political, right? That is not a biblical idea. And by the way, if it's not a biblical idea, it's from the pit of hell. So when somebody tells you, don't be political, what, what does that mean? Let, let me ask you a question. Do, do you not know that in slavery times, there were pastors that are like, I don't want to be divisive. There are all kinds of people in my congregation who, not, when I start that voice, I'm like, I'm doing Dave Chappelle's imitation of a white person, right? You hear me? Like, I'm getting real white. It's a, like, you, but you can hear those voices, right? They're kind of like, well, there's, there are people 
you know, that I don't want to be offensive. I don't want to be divisive in my congregation. And you're thinking, listen, slavery is a satanic evil. And if that's going to be a little divisive, how about tough luck for those who are divided by that, right? And, and did you know, you need to know that it was on fire born again believers that led abolition. Did you know that? Yeah, they're not teaching that in the public schools, okay? But it was on fire born again believers that read the scripture, and the scripture makes it very clear, right? that we are all exactly equal in God's eyes. That's pretty clear. But people say, but, oh, but many churches supported slavery. Many churches support abortion. Many churches support whatever the devil said yesterday in the New York Times. That's really not relevant. The question is, what does scripture say? And history shows us that it was born again. I mean, I know because I've written about this. I know that it was born again believers that led the battle against the slave trade first, and then slavery itself, period. Now, if you don't like that, you don't need to be a Christian, but you can't argue with the history. You might not like the history. It might make you squirm if you're an atheist, but I'm here to tell you the whole idea that racism is wrong, which we all say, oh, yeah, it's wrong, it's wrong. Where'd you get that idea? Yeah, if you didn't get it from the Bible, you're full of baloney because that's the only place those ideas come from. If you believe in, like, atheist Darwinian evolution, there's literally nothing wrong with slavery, with, with, slavery, with racism. Whatever. Like, why? Why is there anything wrong with anybody? Because you just be like, well, we just evolved. And, you know, some people evolved more than others, and they have more power, and they can use their power. That's Darwinian evolution. It's atheistic, okay? If you believe in the God of the Bible, you have a different view. If you believe in the God of the Bible, you say, well, yeah, of course racism is wrong. We are all equal in God's sight. Slavery is wrong. How does slavery, like, look in the Old Testament, right? Like, it existed, and it was obviously bad, right? The Israelites were delivered out of... So, when people kind of play games with this, I'm just here to tell you, it's the Bible that says these things are wrong, and that gives us the ability to see that these things are wrong. But there were people in this country and in other countries that would say, well, I don't want to be divisive. I'm not going to preach on the slavery issue, on the abolition issue. Right now, we all would say, what cowards? How could they not see that? How could they be silent? They said, well, we don't want to be political. Bonhoeffer in the 1930s saw the same thing happening in Germany. There were people like, well, we want to speak against the Nazis because it's divisive. It's political. And we're not supposed to be political. Well, again, that's not biblical, folks. You're supposed to speak what's called truth. And if somebody else says, oh, you're being political, that's that's on them. Okay, you think Wilberforce, I wrote a book called Amazing Grace about William Wilberforce, the man who led the battle against the slave trade in the British Empire. That man only led the battle against the slave trade because he was born again. He became a Christian in his mid-20s and it changed everything. And he said, I'm going to take these biblical ideas into politics and I'm going to advocate in politics for God and God's purposes and, and God gave him the victory, and it's an amazing story, but it came out of his faith. And anybody who tries to secularize that is playing games, okay? And that's a fact. All the people that were the leaders in the abolition movement were, were Christians. I mean, some other people came on board, but it started in the churches, okay? There's no way around it. I'm just saying that's a fact. And so we need to deal with the fact that when somebody says, well, you're being political, don't be political, this has happened before. 
okay? It happened with the slavery issue, which we all now would say, like, oh, yeah, I'm against slavery. Well, yeah, w would you have been against it back then? Or would you have said, well, they're being political. I'm just about the gospel. I just want to preach the gospel. What dead gospel can you possibly preach if you're not speaking truth on an issue like that? You're, you think you're preaching the gospel? Yeah, you think the Lord is pleased with that? Well, that's exactly what Bonhoeffer was trying to get the German church to see. He saw that the Jews were being demonized by the Nazis, and he could smell where this is going. He could see where it's going. The government was demonizing a group of people, and anybody who agreed uh, that, that that was a bad idea, they were being demonized as well. So people were like, we don't want to be political. We don't want to get in trouble. We're just going to keep our noses clean on that one. We're just going to preach the gospel. Well, let me tell you something. What, what a disgrace. That's a nice word for it. We're just going to preach the gospel. Uh, there are a lot of Jews in boxcars with their little families going to their deaths that wish that you Christians actually believed what you claim to believe and would advocate for them, right? Just like in slavery times, there was a lot of black slaves that wished that those white Christians would actually live out their faith that they claim to have. And I got to tell you something, though. You got to understand, God is not fooled. God is not fooled. God knows if you believe what you claim to believe or if you're just talking. And so this brings us to where we are today because I'm hearing the same things today. When I wrote the Bonhoeffer book, which was 12 years ago, whatever, I could kind of smell this in the future. I could see that the American church, first of all, why would it be, be any different than the German church? Are we racially superior to the Germans? Okay, we all know the Lord does not look at our race. He looks at our heart, right? So if we say, like, well, we're different. The Germans are uniquely evil. They did a bad thing. We understand that just happened. So you're saying it can't happen to you? Well, here's the issue. Not only can it happen to the American church, it is happening now. The silence of the American church today is exactly the same as the silence of the German church in the 1930s. I'm here to tell you that all the excuses that pastors give, okay, for not speaking on these divisive issues, like, I don't want to be political. Well, okay, that's nice, but I'm going to tell you, because you don't want to be political, because you shut your mouth on those issues, human beings for whom the Lord died and whom he loves, they're going to suffer because of your silence, pastor. And you're playing a game. You're using fig leaves to try to fool somebody, but God is not fooled. God says silence in the face of evil is itself evil. And so the reason I wrote a letter to the American church, I said the parallels to what happened in Bonhoeffer's day. Now, remember, in Bonhoeffer's day, the German church said, we're going to be quiet. We're not ready to speak up yet. We don't want to be divisive. We don't want to get canceled. They wouldn't have said it that way. But it's the same dynamic. We just want to play safe. We'll let those hotheads talk about it, but we're just going to be safe. We're, gonna, we're just going to do what we're told. We think that's what Jesus would tell us to do, you know. Like if there's any medical procedure you want to do on me, whatever you want to do. You want me not to talk about something, I'll keep my mouth shut. That's not Jesus, folks. That's cowardice masquerading as faith. And the fact of the matter is God calls us, just as he called the Germans to speak boldly for the Jews who were suffering against the Nazi regime, and just as he, as he called pastors to speak against slavery, despite the fact that there's some people in the congregation would have different views on it, right? This is just, this is just 
what God calls us to do. And we kind of think like we're exempt from that. We are alive now because the Lord called us to be alive now, right? You don't get to live in the time in history. You choose. This is it. The Lord called you to this season. And he says, just as I always ask my people to speak on behalf of those who are suffering and to speak the truth and not to be worried about what people are going to say about you, but worry about what I am going to say about you, we are alive during that time now. And there are people that are being silent, and they actually believe they have theological reasons to be silent, just like the Germans believe they have theological Now, we've we got to be clear. The Germans who were silent, and many people who were silent on all these issues, it's very easy for us to condemn them, right? Because we know they were wrong. But the question is, if you were there in that same situation, would you have been silent? And the question is today, are you being silent now? And, and there are many pastors that are being silent. I have heard some of them. I was in a room in, where was it? Uh, in Nashville. It was a Christian gathering or whatever. And this very famous radio preacher was saying that on, that on his radio thing, whatever, he's avoiding all these certain hot button issues so that he could preach the gospel, right? And I'm sitting there in the back of the room thinking, yeah, you're hanging me out to dry by being silent. Instead of standing in solidarity with everybody who's speaking on this, you're like, well, I don't want to get canceled. Right. That's not right. That's wrong. Okay. But that's, that's how it goes. Is it just enough people say, well, I'm just, I'm not going to speak up on this. I don't want to speak uh, against critical race theory or BLM because someone might think I'm a racist. Well, what if you're not a racist? What if you actually think that those things will harm people of color? Will you dare say that because you're white, you can't say that? That itself is just nonsense because somebody's going to label you. You're worried about that. That's all it takes to silence you. If you love communities of color, you will speak against those demonic things. Because, by the way, all you need to know is critical race theory and BLM, it's all atheist Marxism. It's all atheistic. Like I said before, if you have an atheistic worldview, you don't even have an ability to say why racism is even wrong. You're just playing games, right? Only Christians can say, I know why it's wrong, because God says it's wrong, because the Lord declares we're all equal in his eyes. So, but there's a lot of this fear today, and people saying, I don't want to be... I don't want to be political. I don't want to be political. I'm here to tell you, folks, that those people also will they'll say, well, it's because it's about evangelism. I just want to preach the gospel. I was in a church, I won't say where, but just a couple days ago, and I heard a prominent pastor say this. And I was like, you know, in the green room listening, writhing as I heard him basically say this, that well, it's just about preaching the gospel. And, I, and, and I, again, I want to be clear, what gospel are you preaching? When you say Preaching the gospel, you kind of act like it's code, like we're all preaching the gospel. Are you, are you preaching the gospel? If you're not speaking truth, when people's lives are being destroyed, and you act like, well, that's not my lane. That's not your lane? I mean, if Jews are being persecuted, okay, if Africans are being enslaved, you think, well, I would have spoken up then. But now, on this host of issues, you're silent, right? Did anybody... Did anybody see the other day the photograph of T.D. Jakes standing with Beto O'Rourke for the photo op? Okay? This is brother T.D. Jakes. These are the good guys, okay, that have been sucked into thinking that, well, it's okay if I'm political on that side, right? If I shake hands with a pro-abortion 
you know, whatever, okay? Or, or Creflo Dollar talking about Stacey Abrams is good. Like, here's a problem. She's unbelievably pro-abortion. That's just for starters. So you're not afraid to be political in that direction because it's cool, right? Well, I'm here to tell you, folks, the good guys are getting it wrong. So it's easy for us to demonize them and to say, like, oh, they're evil, they're evil. I want to tell you, that's how you know things are bad is the good guys are getting it wrong. There's a pastor, um, uh, I won't mention his name as well, Andy Stanley wrote a book. And... Um, and the book says exactly the opposite of what I say in my book, Letter to the American Church, right? So I forced myself to read it, and I thought, this is painful, because he's giving all the arguments of why we're not supposed to speak and why we're not, okay? So it's all wrong and horrible, and it's going to mislead thousands and multiple thousands of people into silence at a time when the church must speak. But I said... But when I said, you know, I, I, I mentioned Creflo Dollar, I mentioned T.D. Jakes, I mentioned Andy Stanley. Then I go to the page on Amazon to see this book by Andy Stanley, and I see a big blurb from Jim Daly of Focus on the Family supporting this book. And so I said, okay, in Germany, good pastors got this wrong. And the result of their getting it wrong was satanic evil unleashed on Europe and the world. Today, good men and women are getting it wrong. And if we do not call them out and ask them to reconsider their views and change their views, why would God not judge the American church in exactly the way that he judged the German church? Because what happened to Germany, if you're young and you don't know this, by the way, you will be responsible for this information at some point soon, so you need to, you know, it's kind of like, well, I'm pretty young. I didn't know. They, they shot Lincoln? I didn't know. I was not alive at that time. People kind of act like, well, you know, it happened before my time. Folks, this is history. This is, if we don't know, what happened in Germany, okay, is because of the silence of the German church, and the exact thing is happening now. The silence of the American church now has led, in just a couple of short years, to unbelievable evil. You, you see it, right? It does, you don't even need to know, what, you don't even need to worry about where to look. In any direction you look in, you see madness. You see Marxism and you see cultural Marxism. It manifests itself in critical race theory, manifests itself in the transgender madness. Do, do you really need, do you really believe most Americans think like, oh, yeah, I guess uh, five minutes ago somebody just decided there's more than two genders. Like, yeah. Suddenly, roosters can lay eggs, and don't, don't, don't bring it up because uh, they'll just prove you're a divisive monster. Really? Like, I, I, can't, I can't talk about that. By the way, Scripture is a little bit clear on that issue. So are you going to offend somebody if you say that that's madness? Well, maybe you'll offend somebody, but the question is, what about the people whose lives are being destroyed because of this madness? I'll tell you what. There are people around this country looking for truth, looking for boldness. And if they see churches speaking clarity on this, and we say these things in love, not in hate. Of course, we say them in love. If people see that, they're flocking to those churches, folks. So all those pastors that are worried about offending somebody, let me tell you who you're offending. You're offending people who are living with this, 
and that you're not even addressing it like it doesn't exist. And I'm, I'm here to tell you that the church in America today, we are at, a, at an inflection point, exactly as the German church was. If we remain silent on these issues, I wrote this book again for all these guys that I mentioned. That's just a handful of people, okay, these lead pastors. But their influence is huge, and God's going to judge them. And I say this because I, I believe good people can be reached. They can repent. They can say, you know what? I got that wrong. I got that wrong. And the reason I say this is because in Germany, one of the key guys who got this wrong was Martin Niemöller. If you read my Bonhoeffer book, you know the story. He was a hero, but he really didn't understand the horror of the Nazis until it was too late. And when it was too late, he was one of the boldest voices speaking up against the Nazis. But by the time he got it, it was too late. There was a short window of opportunity. Bonhoeffer was trying to wake up the German church. So I wrote this book, Letter to the American Church, basically to give Bonhoeffer's voice a second bite at the apple, folks. Because he spoke this prophetically to the German church. They did not hear it. And again, if you don't know this history, what happened is unspeakable evil. The Lord allowed that because his church did not speak up. And I believe that is what's happening now. I'm not exaggerating, but I believe the Lord called me to write this book and is causing all kinds of stuff to happen now for his purposes in our time that the church would wake up before it's too late. But the time is so short, I can hardly tell you. We are, we're, we're on fumes right now. And so let me just close by saying that some people, one thing people have made an idol of is what we call evangelism, right? We know evangelism is a good thing. It's like a great thing. But there are people who are afraid to say anything, political, divisive, whatever, because I might offend somebody and will lose their souls. That's, that's the devil stirring up fear. Because let me tell you something. When you speak the truth, God cares more about those souls than you ever could. And when you speak truth, the Lord is drawing people. There are people that are coming to faith because there's some crazy pastors getting political and talking about this stuff, and they're kind of thinking, wow, I've been, I've been waiting for somebody to say something, and the reason I never went to church is because none of those pastors I ever heard would ever go near this stuff. They seem to me like, you know, cowards. They seem to me like feminized, useless, uh, but they don't seem to me like, you know, if there was such a thing as truth, that I, I don't see it in them. And we know that that kind of religiosity drives people away from God. So instead of being worried about saying something that might offend somebody, how about being worried about keeping your mouth shut when everybody else is wondering when is somebody going to speak the truth on this and this and this and this and this and this. You know, not only are we supposed to get political, we're supposed to get everything. We're supposed to get into everything. The Lord calls us to take his truth into every sphere. Don't let somebody say, like, you can't go there. Separation of church and state. There, this is like game playing, right? It's all game playing. Because you're not supposed to be political. Romans 13, you know, Johnson Amendment. You lose your 501c3 status. Blah, 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 blah. Well, how about if I disappoint God? How about that? Does that concern you? And I'm here to tell you, the Lord wants us to go on offense because he died so that we would take him and his truth into every sphere imaginable, okay? So 
We're supposed to get political. We're supposed to get everything. We're supposed to take the truth of Jesus into every sphere, into the schools, into the culture, into the media, everywhere into the justice system, because the Lord wants us to bring him and his truth. The Lord does not have little categories. Stay in your lane. Stay in your theological lane. No, that's not God. That's not God. Abraham Kuyper, I'll close with this quote because this is such a beautiful quote. My hero, he became my friend, Chuck Colson. I had a privilege of working for him and knowing him. He would quote this in every speech. He said, Abraham Kuyper, who was this Dutch theologian, statesman from about 130 years ago, Kuyper would say this, and, and Colson would quote this in every speech, and it was that there is not one square inch in all creation over which Jesus Christ, who is sovereign, does not say, mine. It is only the voice of the devil that will say, stay in your religious corner, stay there, okay? You go to China today, right? They'll let you have your little official church as long as you don't dare get out of your lane and say something that might indict, you know, the satanic communist administration that's oppressing human beings, okay? And I want to tell you something, folks. Because people bled and died that we could be free in this country, we have an obligation to speak the truth, to take the truth of Jesus outside of this building, outside of the Sunday morning, and bring it into every sphere. That's what the Lord's commanded us to do, to love him in every aspect of our lives, to be bold. And if you need a warning about what happens when you don't do that, you understand what happened to Germany because of the silence of the German church. By the grace of God, let us not go down that path. Let the Lord give us a new birth of freedom in this nation, starting on Tuesday, but only starting on Tuesday, because we have a long way to go, and by his grace, we will go there. Praise Jesus. God bless you.